You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Minna Dubin to the show. When I tell you that I'm excited to have Minna on the show, I mean, I made a tea in my Tears of Patriarchy mug. I got myself ready and read her New York Times articles over again for I don't know the how manyth time to prep myself to chat with Minna Dubin. Minna is a writer and a mother who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's written across a broad number of topics, such as infertility, raising neurodivergent children, consent, gender, sexuality. But Minna's writing focus took a little bit of a twist and turn when she released her first essay on mom rage in the New York Times in 2019. That first article was titled The Rage Mothers Don't Talk About, and it was a personal essay about her own experience with mom rage. This article was released pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic hit and everything changed for everybody, but also especially for mothers and their roles and the care work they were juggling. Several people started to reach back out to Minna about her work, and she released another article in the New York Times called I'm going to physically explode mom rage in a pandemic. If you've been around here long enough, you know that I love to break down the walls of shame and guilt around mom rage and anger in motherhood. And I am so excited that Amanda was open to coming and joining me in this conversation because her take on this experience is so relevant, timely, and needed. This episode feels more like two friends getting to know each other over coffee. Enjoy this conversation with Minna Dubin. Mom rage is something most of us don't like to talk about. Nobody posts on social media or tells their mommy group about how angry they get or the time they lost their cool. But the truth is, we all experience this. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And with the right tools and strategies, you can learn how to handle your anger so that you can parent more freely. Dr. Asherina Reem, Psych Mommy and I want to help give you those tools for your toolbox so you can understand your anger better, plan for it, and have a range of in-the-moment strategies for managing it. So we set out to create a self-paced, easily digestible course that dives deep and offers insight into why we feel anger, strategies for preventing it, how to control it in the moment, and how to repair after those human moments where we miss the mark. We want you to join us for all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, your resource for controlling anger and staying calm even in the most triggering moments. The videos are easily digestible and include closed captioning for accessibility. We're confident that this course will change your life so confident that we want you to buy it risk-free, meaning if you don't love it, you can get your money back. The more you understand your anger, the more you can control it, so you can parent more freely and maintain stronger connections with your family. Head to happyasamother.co slash rage. That's happyasamother.co slash rage. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. 
I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Minna, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. I've been aware of your work for quite some time and we run in parallel in terms of our passions and our missions, I would say, in some ways. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled that we're finally getting to meet each other. I'm really curious about how a writer gets like thrust into the world of mom rage and parenting and and sort of like advocacy work. And there, there's so many pieces to it, I feel like. Play me through your story about how that came about. Sure. I've been a memoir writer. That's like first and foremost what I feel like I've been doing forever. So before I was a mother, even my work was always around identity. So I was always telling sort of stories of my life and pulling them apart and looking at what was happening underneath, like where was race at play, where was gender at play, where was sexuality at play, like what are the stories that are silent that are actually happening. Mm. So that's sort of like what I w- have always been doing. And in some ways, I feel like that's still what I'm doing. I'm just, once I became a mother, the thing that I was obsessed with writing about was motherhood. But I, I think I'm always looking for like the hidden things that are happening mm-hmm. in motherhood. And so there's a way that that's advocacy, right? Like there's a social justice element to that work, to talking about identity and how power dynamics and disempowerment, like how that's happening in our everyday interactions. Mm-hmm. I think that my writing does that, even though I'm not like, I'm not necessarily setting out to like create some activist piece of writing, but I think that it does end up happening naturally. And it's funny, I was just talking about that this morning with Mom Rage, how like this is what took you know I write all kinds of things I write essays about all sorts of things about motherhood Mm -hmm. but this particular topic it felt like this is what the world needed to hear about because this is what people sort of went crazy about and so I kind of feel like I'm writing about what needs to be written about Mm -hmm. like there's lots of things I want to write about but this is what I feel like is being called on me to write about right now Mm -hmm. and so this is where my focus is at the moment yeah I love that mission to write about the hidden experiences or the unseen things. Your essay that came out, it was 2019 was the first one, right? In the New York Times. Yeah. And that was sort of a personal essay recounting your own experience with mom rage. And as you can imagine, as somebody who talks a lot about mom rage on my platform, has like a workshop that turned into an e-course and all these resources, seeing and reading your story is one that is just like, I've heard it hundreds and thousands of times from women that are struggling with, okay, I enter into motherhood and I've got this intensive mothering, this perfect mother ideal in my mind that I am going to be the most gentle and nurturing creature to like engage (laughs) with this child, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're in this role and we find that like, oh, we're so frustrated and we maybe like 
like you had recounted sort of like, do we grab the wrist with a little squeeze and we're like, oh, was that too tight? Like, was that inappropriate? And I didn't know I could feel so angry. And then we're wrestling with this part of ourselves that feels so like unmaternal or the opposite of what we feel like maternal should be. Hey. Yeah. I think that the pressure on mothers to be perfect and to be quote unquote maternal is so immense that one of the, I feel like one of the hardest and most difficult things about mom rage is just how terrible moms feel Mm. after it happens. Like the deep shame and the deep guilt that you have like crossed some terrible line. And then it like goes into the second story where we tell ourselves that we're bad. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we're bad people, we're bad mothers, right? Because a good mother would never do that because that's not in like the good mother trope. Right, right. Like a good mother is like endlessly patient and kind and nurturing and whatever. But we're freaking human beings with an array of emotions. And of course, frustration, irritability, anger are going to be among those things. Right. So like, okay, walk me through the moment, Minna, walk me through the moment where you write this personal essay. And maybe some of your other work is as personal as this. I'm not as well versed in some of those pieces, but like there had to be some like, oh, like I'm putting this out in the world. Was there that experience for you? Oh, yeah. And more so with this piece than anything I think I've ever written. Okay. Yeah. Also because it was the largest outlet I had ever been published in. It was the New York Times. You know, like the readership is so large and the influence is so big in that newspaper. I was absolutely terrified. I like paid a student $100 to have access to all of my social and to like be in charge of it for the day because Mm. I was so afraid of what kind of feedback I was going to get from the world. Yeah. Yeah, it was really frightening. And I had a lot of people who told me, people in like in big places, like, you know, an agent and a mom writer who's pretty famous. Like, I had people tell me not to do it, not to publish Mm. it, that it's not worth it. Because of the, like, what was the fear there? Because we're going so counter, like, the expectation of motherhood. Is that where the fear was coming in or... The people who told me not to publish it, I think that it was out of kindness and it was out of fear for me. One, I think there was fear, like, how is this going to impact your relationship with your child? Like, people were afraid Mm -hmm. for my personal relationship with my child. And two, fear of trolls, you know, fear of people just being super mean and unkind to me as a response. Which on the freaking wild, wild west of the internet, they can be, hey? Sure. And also, like, I also had, like, You know, like when you're afraid of something, there's the like immediate fear of what's most likely is that like, I'll probably get some mean emails, which did take place. And then there's the like, you know, extreme fear of like child protective services is going to come take my kid and say I'm a bad mother. And like, you know, I had all the fears. Mm -hmm. That particular fear is something that I feel like every listener who has had rage or angry thoughts or even like intrusive angry thoughts that can be violent in nature doesn't utter them out loud because of this like, can I tell my therapist? Because I know they have a duty to report. Like, am I gonna, is family services gonna get involved? Like there is just this wrestling with these big emotions and then it goes so deep into shame and underground because of this fear. And then we feel isolated. We're like silos in our own motherhood experience. 
taking all this stuff underground thinking we're the only ones when if we could break through and pierce this shame that we experience, yeah, we would recognize like we're not unique in this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was the power of the article, actually, of that essay and what it did and why it impacted so many people is because... I mean, every email that I got was more or less the same. And it said, I thought I was all alone and I was sure I was a terrible mother. I mean, every single one. And it just like, it showed like, I mean, I think motherhood is isolating already. Modern motherhood is pretty isolating. And then I think mom rage just adds this deep isolating experience and this just such a thick layer of shame that to be able to read that, I think for many mothers was like, oh my God, maybe it's not just me. Maybe I'm not so terrible. Mm-hmm. And the relief, that was such a relief for so many people. And then was a relief for me too. Right. Like, oh, it's not just me either. Like, look at us, like universally connected in this experience. Yes. And while it is a painful experience and uncomfortable, there's something about feeling like we're not the only one going through it that gives us some like solstice and some comfort to know that like you know, we're not inherently bad in any way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then that's 2019. This essay goes kind of bananas. And then there was another New York Times feature at sort of the first couple of months of the pandemic-ish time, hey? Yeah. Yeah. So around April, like a month after the March, April, May, the first couple of months of the pandemic, when we were all sheltering in place, I started getting all these emails again. You know, I got a big influx of emails when the article was first published in September of 2019. And then in the spring of 2020, I started getting all these emails and I was like, oh, moms are having a really hard time and they're Googling mom rage Mm -hmm. and they're finding Mm -hmm. that article. Like that's what's happening right now. And so Mm -hmm. I contacted New York Times Parenting at the time and said, I think something is happening. Mm -hmm. I think that mom rage is like off the charts right now and that we need to interview people basically. And we need to write an article about mom rage in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like other articles that came out about like moms going to like scream in a soccer field during the pandemic, like all of these really relevant articles that came out that gave some language to what we were all experiencing at that time. Right. But those articles, the moms going to scream in a field, that was recently, that was like 2022 or at the end of 2021. It was really recently. And I think to me, I see that as a progression of my article in 20. 20 because at that point that was like moms banding together moms banding out of isolation Mm. and saying I'm going crazy like I think that the conversation around mom rage that has evolved has let moms talk to each other and so community is able to be built Mm -hmm. whereas it just I see that as beautiful as a way to like break out of the isolation yeah yeah it's one of the interesting pieces like I also get interviewed on other people's podcasts often about mom rage. And one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things that I feel myself repeating is like the tools in itself to manage the rage are not like proprietary to any one person. Like any of your therapists can teach you this, but it is the ability to get through the shame and to move through this initial experience, this belief that I'm a bad mom, that this is counter quote unquote, what a good mom should look like. And to like move through that shame experience. Yeah. To be able to even accept and understand that anger is a part of our humanity to then learn the skills. Like the skills are like almost the easy last step. Like I say that they're hard and I am still always practicing them. Like they're a forever journey in practice. 
but the like even getting over the hurdle to be able to learn the skills is just what your articles is really helping to to like blow open and have these conversations about it. Right, because you can't move into the skills until you can jump over that shame. Like the shame just like wants, you know, shame wants to keep things hidden. Mm-hmm. You can't move into action if you're just hiding. Yeah. You know. Totally. And like when we're pushing something away so much and we're trying to closet it and we're trying to keep it contained and and a top on it, you know, we're not accepting it. We're not becoming curious. We're not leaning into it. Like we're trying so hard to constrain it that we aren't able to process or move through it. Right. Yeah. And I have found that that curiosity, when you said that, I was like, oh, yes, I have found that to be like one of the biggest pieces of it. That like, if you can push past the shame and look at your rage, like as a friend, in my book, Mm -hmm. I have a chapter called Invite Your Rage to Tea, where Mm. you're like, where you're inviting your rage, like to the table and asking it questions, like in this almost like an investigative reporter way, like, tell me about yourself, you know, and there's this like way to try and unpack what's actually happening. And once, mm-hmm. once you can be curious about your rage, you can actually look at like, well, where did this come from? And like, what are the things that trigger me? And like, what are the like physical signs that tell me I'm about to rage? Cause most people have those. And like, there's so many questions and like the skills you can get only once you take some of the sting out of it so that yeah. you can, you can approach rage in like more of a friendly way. Totally. I want to dive into all the areas of your book. I know you're working on it. Like, how did this progress then? So, like, there was such a response to both of these articles in the New York Times that this led into, like, a book proposal and down that route? There was such a response to to that 2020 article in particular. I mean, okay. the, the 2019, the essay has been republished by the Times twice since the original publication. Hmm. But it was that pandemic article that like really did things. I think it was just the perfect article at the perfect time. I think moms just were really just insane in that moment and just going, losing their minds that a couple of agents reached out to me wanting me to write a mom rage book. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to write a book about this. This is, I felt nervous about my relationship with my kids. And I was Hmm. just like, I don't want to be the mom rage lady. And basically, I just, I thought about it and I thought about it. And I decided that I tried to hold on to like, what is the point? Like, I think I got driven by the activist point, like we were talking about of, can I do something that's going to bring mom's relief? Mm-hmm. And I felt like I could. And I also, you know, as as I started thinking more about mom rage and writing more about mom rage, I also started placing it in a cultural context. Like in that first essay, I don't place it in a cultural context at all. I'm not talking about the society. I'm not talking about the oppression of mothers, like none of it. And I think over these years, as I've been interviewing moms and and researching maternal anger and all that stuff, I now I'm seeing it in this larger context. And so, I mean, my son will talk to me and be like, well, you know, like sexism and racism and mom rage. Like he like... (laughs) How old is he? How old is he? He He's nine now. Okay, yeah. Um, I also have a five-year-old. So he like, I feel like I'm in a better place around like the idea of writing a book about mom rage that he's in because I'm also like, it's not his fault that I have had these struggles. And it's it's not like the onus is off of me, but it's also not 100% my fault. Like it's in this larger context. And so I slowly started to feel like 
it wasn't going to hurt my relationship with my kid to write this book. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the book that the world needed me to write and that I would do it. And so now I'm, I wrote a proposal. Yeah. I can relate to that feeling. Like I, f- I frequently share bits of my motherhood journey on the podcast and across social media to like help empower and inform other moms. And I find I really walk this line where I'm always thinking about my kids and their their consent and how this impacts them. I'm neurodivergent, raising a neurodivergent son who that comes with a lot. And I have a platform and I'm very, I try to be very mindful about how I position these things. So I can really respect and understand that in thinking about stepping out, especially around what feels like such a hot button topic, you're really going to guard your kids and guard yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Okay. So this book, and I know it's not going to be out and I'm going to be like sitting on the edge of my seat till like the end of this year or whatever. We'll have you back. I can't wait. But I'm so curious to understand from your perspective, how we're defining mom rage. Like, let's start there. Like, what would we say mom rage actually is? I think of mom rage as this like growing unspoken emotional crisis that's affecting moms of all socioeconomic groups, and it's worldwide. And it's caused by a few things. So it's caused by the overwhelming stress and expectations of modern motherhood, combined with this debilitating lack of support that comes from both within the family structure and the societal systems. Mm -hmm. So like when I say family structure, I'm talking about like the majority of mothers being the primary parent, shouldering you know, being the like manager of the house, mm-hmm. you know, doing most of the care work, the domestic labor, the invisible labor, keeping like the family's to-do list in her head, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And then when I say societal systems, I mean like the fact that like women are doing this labor of creating and rearing the next generation. And that's a work that goes unacknowledged, unpaid, and unsupported in terms of like there being no federally mandated family leave and that healthcare like federally cuts off, like Medicaid cuts off after six weeks postpartum for moms, mm. that moms are paid less than every other adult at their paid jobs, including dads, including non-parenting women, that there's mm. no free childcare, that there's poor and endangered access to birth control and abortion, like all the things. Yeah. So those are like the things that feed into mom rage. In addition to parenting is hard and frustrating. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Those are like like the underlying hidden things that are happening. Yeah. Like what I'm hearing and what I usually deal with in terms of mom rage is like within the individual. Like I am a clinician that works with the individual on their individual coping skills, right? So I think of mom rage in the context of how it feels in your body and how you move through it and and understanding our triggers and, and this individual piece. But we can't look at the individual without stepping back and looking at the context in which they're mothering in, right? Right. right. And like, I purposefully prepped my like tears of the patriarchy mug to sip my tea as we <laughs> chat because like you and no one can, they can just hear us. They can't see me in my tea mug. But like, I come from a very evangelical Christian upbringing and I mm-hmm. never would have thought of myself as a feminist. I never would have thought of myself as like using words like patriarchy and things that just felt so, I don't know, different, foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And then I got down the road of motherhood studies Mm -hmm. and how mothers are so oppressed in the systems, like the way that things are structured around 
I'm currently working on a project prepping a proposal on the invisible load, a book talking about cognitive labor, the invisible load, the emotional load that we carry, yep. and like the absolute zero value that care work is given. Mm-hmm. And then you can't help but be like, what in the F is going on around here? Like this is just talk about like adding to the anger that I may have already had around these topics. And it's just, I don't know, it's totally mind opening to see the context in which the individual is mothering. Yes, totally. And I've been looking into Sylvia Federici, who was one of the founders of the Wages for Housework movement Mm. in the 70s. And her stuff around just like, it's not even about the wage, right? It's not even about like if mothers were to get paid. Hmm. It's about seeing the work in the home as actual work. Yes. And not as like, oh, well, we're doing it out of love. This is because we love them. Right. This is because this is like what I was supposed to do as a woman. I meant to be here and procreate, right? Like it's not that either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm exploring it right now anyway for one of the chapters about this idea of like just and care work like it's often mothers who are taking care of elderly people as well in the family. One of the things that inevitably comes up anytime I share about mom rage on social media, elsewhere on the blog, why are we calling it mom rage? It's just rage. This is a human experience. Have Mm. you come up against this feedback in your work? I have come up against it. I think that some people think that it's belittling in some way to call it mom rage. Mm -hmm. But for me, I find that mom rage is a very gendered experience. Right. I also find that whenever I talk about mom rage, some man comes up to me and is like, what about dad rage though? Right. And I mean, I have a couple of responses to that. One is, why do you have to make this about you? This is a conversation in which mothers are located at the center. Right. This isn't about you. Number one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I just did that thing with my hand. One of my my rage (laughs) tells, my physical tells that I'm like about to lose it is that my hands get involved. (laughs) I love it. I'm sure I probably do similar things or I probably have like a little, I don't know, a little bob that happens or something. But yeah. Mm. But also like, I mean, yes, dads can certainly rage, right? Emotions don't discriminate based on gender or sex. Mm -hmm. But moms and dads are not playing on the same field. Like there's all these sociopolitical implications and like disempowering gender dynamics at play that have these historical roots in the cultural expectations of gender-specific parenting. Dads aren't under that same pressure that moms are under. They're not usually the primary parent. And also, anger is viewed differently in gender. Like, mom's anger, you know, they're viewed when they're angry, they're seen as being shrill or bitchy or naggy. And when men are angry it's like an alpha sign, you know, Mm, they're like, they're mm -hmm. respected more. Like studies have been done where in the workplace where men and women were watched as they were angry and the study participants thought that the men who were angry had higher positions of power and the women who were angry had lower positions of power in the workplace. And they viewed the men's anger as situational, like, well, he was angry because this and this happened or those people were kind of being like not very nice. But when women are angry, it's viewed as being a personal issue, like a a character flaw. Right. And then we view ourselves that way too. Like if my husband gets mad or like will like rage at the kids, 
when it's over, he doesn't feel bad. He's mm-hmm. not like, he won't sit in a shame spiral for three days about it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's like, mm-hmm. he also views it as situational. He's like, well, they were really acting out. And I do too. I'll be like, those kids, they were being really annoying. I like totally see his, like, it mm-hmm. seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. But if it's me, it's like, she's out of control, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel terrible about it. And I'm like a mess for the next three days. Like, I don't think I'll ever drop the mom in front of mom rage because it is not, we don't have level expectations of how we control this emotion for parents. Like, if I am meant to be the primary nurturer that is calm and gentle all the time, and that in my mind is what it means to be a good mother, then when I experience anger, I feel that I'm the opposite of that right? Like I feel bad. I feel unworthy. I feel like I'm not maternal. Like the things that I hear come in in stories from people and in my DMs about how I question whether I was even supposed to be a mom to begin with. And then you've got dads who experience rage who like the anger is one of their main emotions that they're sort of conditioned to allow to be allowed to show, right? So it is a very unique and different experience for women who are told that they need to be quiet and calm and nurturing yeah to have such intense feelings of anger yep totally i'm like i don't have anything to add to that i'm like yes you're right yeah <laughs> well and well and i feel that there's an like this goes one step deeper and you talked about it i think it was in the second article when like all the george floyd stuff was happening and we've got all this context of like blm and race and we understand some of the stereotypes around black women and anger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we as mothers already feel like we need to be, you know, endlessly calm and nurturing. And then you've got Black women who are stereotyped as being angry mm-hmm. and then are also mothers. Like, I don't know. There's something here that just feels very challenging for Black women to navigate because if I've got this internalized myth that I need to be nurturing and then, I don't know, people perceive me as angry or I have to be that much more calm? I don't know. There's something there. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when I'm talking about like, you know, men, when they're angry, they're perceived as alpha, as like empowered and dominant. Like that's even very different depending on race, right? Because black people and specifically black men are penalized for their anger if it's particularly if it's shown in front of white people. Mm -hmm. And Mom rage, just like mom rage doesn't, or rage doesn't discriminate based on gender. Mom rage doesn't discriminate based on race. Like all Mm -hmm. moms can, of course, experience mom rage, but the social implications that race plays on it changes the playing field. Mm -hmm. It has been much, much harder for me to find black moms who want to get interviewed and talk about their mom rage because it doesn't get viewed the same. Like they don't get the same forgiveness. They don't get the same second chances. And they're already have that stigma of the angry black woman on top of it. Mm. And I think it's also different. Like if you feel like your children, if you have black kids and you feel like your children are endangered in the world, I also, you know, wonder if that affects the way that you are going to interact with your children. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have white kids and you're not worried about them in the world, I wonder if it's easier to, I don't know, to flip out at them. I mean, I I have interviewed black moms for the book, Mm -hmm. but one of the black moms, her rage, she talked about it. She internalized it. Mm. She wouldn't yet like yell and stomp. 
she would leave a lot. She would disassociate. She would go right into her screen. She would self-harm by drinking. Mm -hmm. It showed itself in a different way. It had more of an internalized element. It's a really valid point because the anger in itself, it can't just like dissipate. Like it goes somewhere, right? Right. And in our course, we talk about anger expressions. So we've got like external. And this feels like it's the most problematic. We feel really guilty for it. We lash out. We yell. We slam something. We throw something. And it's external. But not everybody externalizes their anger. Sometimes we internalize it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we passive aggressively gossip about it. Sometimes we take it out on ourselves. Yeah. And so there are many ways in which this anger can present itself, it's sort of a privilege, I'm going to say, to be able to show it externally. Yes, especially in public. Yes. I mean, the first time I was even introduced to the the idea of mom rage before I ever experienced it, I was in a mom group and one of the moms was talking about how she, um, she was home with the kid all week and she had all her systems in place and like her timing of when she would feed the kid so that the kid would go down and take the best nap that way. And like, you know, she had all her systems. And then on the weekends, the husband would be home and he would just totally blow her systems to shit. Like, Mm. you know, he would do this or he'd keep the kid out too long and it was too late and then the nap wouldn't be good and like this and that. Mm. And it would make her insane. She talked about banging her fists against her thighs, just like hitting her thighs until they hurt. Mm -hmm. And that was like my first, I don't know, recognition that like, that there could be an anger involved in motherhood that was so deep that it had to get out in some way, in some mm-hmm. physical way. And I do think that there is a strong physical element to it, whether you're like punching your own thighs or like, like for me, once I'm already raging, I clap a mm-hmm. lot. You're like, mm-hmm. don't, you know what I mean? I clap with my words. But I think that that physical element, there's something about getting it out and feeling something in your body with that clapping or stomping or whatever it is. Yeah. And this is usually the part of the conversation where people get really leery because to talk about getting physical in motherhood, to talk about throwing items and to talk about like this is even as a clinician, honestly, where I start to perk up and say, okay, to what degree? And let's put this on a scale. Like, where are we at? Because there has to be a line somewhere. And so what does this look like? Well, these things are on a continuum, right? Like, so if I am biting my tongue and I am like fists and I, you know, am like slamming a cupboard and I'm frustrated, that is a far cry away from like the physical abuse that we can get to on like the far end of that. And there is a lot of gray in between, Yeah. right? And I think that it's so important that we can... One, find the right people to talk to about this. Like maternal Mm -hmm. mental health therapists have Mm -hmm. so much more training and experience in this area for moms than like maybe your generalized therapist would or your general physician or whatever. Mm -hmm. But finding like the right people who you can have these conversations with and say like, hey, I'm having a really hard time controlling my body in these moments or I'm having a really hard time cooling off because we do get a surge of adrenaline, all kinds of hormones pump through us for fight or flight. And we've got to channel that in a way that we can reset ourselves, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think finding the right people to talk to and also finding, you know, other moms that you can talk to, Mm -hmm. you know, it doubles as like both lessening the shame, but also 
bringing more of a mindfulness because I found for me that the more that I started talking about it and writing about it and thinking about it and researching it, like the more that my mind was on it, the more I was able to be aware of it Mm -hmm. when it started to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We spoke about that curiosity piece. We spoke about like, you know, when we can say, and I hope that at this point in our interview, if you're listening, that you can say, you know what? Like anger is human and anger does not make me a bad mom. And anger is an inevitable part of parenting. I'm not bad for experiencing it. And I hope we've broken through some of that shame at this point so that maybe we can lean into some of the ways we can start to become curious or start to like befriend our anger a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear your strategies that you were talking about. Like they sound very like a narrative therapy approach where we like put our anger in a chair and we like have a conversation with it, right? Yeah. I think I'm a very visual thinker. Yeah. So for me, like I needed to personify my rage to see my rage as a friend in order Mm. to like think about like, how do I learn about my rage? I'm like, okay, so my rage is a person. That was the way that worked for me to think about it like that. Yeah. Because I, I thought that to myself, like this rage is new in motherhood. And I've had so many mothers say that to me that I never used to be rageful before I was a mother. Yes. But I actually think that that's not true for a lot of people. I think that if we really dig deep and we can look back and look at where some of our triggers come from, and when we find those trigger moments, we can often find the places where like our rage began, even if we weren't stomping around throughout our whole lives. Like that, right. that the rage isn't necessarily new and the triggers that cause the rage aren't new. Potentially the expression of the rage is new. Maybe it looked differently before or something along those lines. It was smaller. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because the stress also may not have been as acute. Right. Yeah. So finding the triggers for me has been really important, Mm. both to forgive myself and also to know myself, you know, to be like, okay, I get super triggered around anything that feels like patriarchy or like I'm being disempowered or put down or something. Mm -hmm. Those are triggers for me. And then I've talked to moms who have code words also with their partners, Mm. where if the partner realize like is like, you're going a little too far they have a code word that they'll say. And I found that if you can figure out how to utilize your partner, it can be really helpful. In in mom rage, I find that it often separates partners because you don't want to talk to your partner about it. And it's just like this terrible thing between the two of you. But your partner is the one person, if you have a partner, who knows your mom rage the best, the adult who knows it the best. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I found I was able to like have that moment where I could ask him, can you observe me and tell me if you notice anything that's like happening before I start to rage so that Mm. I can become mindful and know my cues and be like, oh, this is happening. And we had a, a conversation and he was like saying something and I was getting really upset and I didn't even know I was getting upset. And then it was my turn to respond. And I responded really slow and really deep. Each word I was like, I go, I will allow you like (laughs) just like that. (laughs) And he goes, he stops me and he goes, is it happening right now? Mm. And I was able to stop and do kind of like a body scan and ask myself like the underneath the rage and ask myself, where does it hurt? What are you afraid of? Mm -hmm. And the minute I did that and I hit on where it hurt and what I was afraid of, I burst into tears 
And then he was able to come towards me. Right. Instead of me pursuing with my anger and him retreating, which is the dynamic that often happens between us where he'll run away because I'm angry. Instead, I, I hit the vulnerability and then he wasn't afraid and we were able to get into it. This dynamic is something that I hear from so many people. Like, I don't rage or get angry with my child, but my partner, on the other hand, mm-hmm. they're a whole grown adult. Like, right. they should know X, Y, Z, right? Or, you know, I have patience with my baby, but my pet, now that I'm in the postpartum, I cannot tolerate. And so I think that yep. even the targets of our rage can be different depending on the person. For sure. Or maybe we have a certain like restraint with our baby, but we don't with our partner or whatever. Like the targets can look different for people. And so when we're talking this rage and motherhood, I think that we're talking beyond just even our child because I've seen this oh, have yeah. significant impact in, in partnerships as well. Hey. Yeah. I think that mom rage can be directed at children. It can be directed at partners. You know, I never thought about pets, but yes, of course, it could be directed at pets. It can also just be directed at the systems, at like the societal systems. I've heard about it being directed just at men in general across the board. You know, even though it's called mom rage, I call it that because it's the mom, not because it's being aimed necessarily at the child. And it can be internal. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's important to note. And for those who are thinking and maybe evaluating some of this for themselves as they're listening, it's like becoming really curious about, as you had mentioned, the triggers, who the trigger is, what the trigger is, the targets, the people that we take our anger out on. Mm-hmm. Is it ourself? Is it our partner? Is it our animal? They're so frustrated. Like, I don't have an animal. So that's not something that I really, that was a blind me spot neither. for me. <laughs> yeah. But that comes up and I do weekend polls and it comes up every single weekend in polls. Wow. Like numerous people ask, like, has anyone rehomed a pet? Does anybody like feel extremely irritated by their dog postpartum and things like that? So that was a big theme that emerged. And and I think that just becoming curious, yeah, like on all of those fronts can really just start to help us piece together what is going on beneath the anger and beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there is often something happening, right? The rage is a response. It's a response to feeling hurt, feeling like you're being, feeling powerless often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's so many, there are so many potential factors for what is happening mm-hmm. that could make you rage. You know, sleep is a big piece of it, lack of sleep specifically. Yeah, I really love your perspective. I love that you center mom and the individual and you take that, you know, into account. And then you step out and take in this broader sort of context that mom is mothering in. And it's a really necessary work that you're doing. And I'm so excited for the book and for all that's in your future. So tell us a little bit about what's coming next from you and where we're going to be able to find you. And we'll have you back closer to book launch for sure. Sure. And I just wanted to say that in terms of making it broader, it feels really important to me to make sure that that always stays in the conversation because otherwise I think moms get pathologized. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like another thing on mom's to-do list, fix your rage. Right. You know, and it's not that moms don't have responsibility for it, but it just feels really important to broaden it so it's not another things moms have to fix about themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a reason why 
you know, moms feel angry. That is beyond just their individual experience, right? Right. And then the answer I feel like that I see on Instagram or whatever is always like more self-care, mom. And then it's like another thing on the to-do list, like run more, take more baths. Like I need to make more time. You know, it's always just like on you, on you. Which still feels like another thing that we're failing at, right? Because then if we're not doing that and then if we're getting angry, it's because I didn't do enough self-care or I didn't do enough whatever. And it's just, I don't know, it feeds this like, like we have to be perfect sort of cycle. Yes. Yeah. It's a loop. <laughs> yeah. It totally is a loop. It totally is. Yeah. So the book, which is tentatively titled Mom Rage with a subtitle that I'm working on, mm-hmm. <laughs> is coming out in May 2023 from Seal Press. And I will, you know, blast all the things about it once it's available for pre-order, probably on my Instagram, which is my name, Minna Dubin. And I'm not sure what's next after the book, but I have a novel that I've been working on, which is a very sexy and queer novel about a couple. And um, it feels kind of like the antidote to mom rage. (laughs) (laughs) This is what's getting you through writing about mom rage is like being in this like fantasy couple world, you know, like totally. Super sexy. I'm like, yes, this is what I need to do next. I love that. I love that. And we will link your Instagram below and we'll link your New York Times articles and any other work that you want to send over that we'll link in our blog post for people to discover more about you. But Yeah, I've just really enjoyed getting to know you today. So thank you so much for joining us and being here. Me too. And thank you for your work. This was great. I don't know about you, but I could have talked to Minna all day long about our individual experience in motherhood and placing it in the broader context. This is the type of stuff that I geek out about in my personal time. I'm not even kidding. I have a stack of research articles on my desk regarding these topics. So I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. One of the things we didn't discuss in this interview that I do go over in my All the Rage course is how there are several things that can be underlying our irritability and rage, and research has made a link between a postpartum depression and anxiety and expressions of rage and anger. So if you are questioning your level of irritability or you're feeling you're more prone to anger than usual and you're not quite feeling like yourself, I encourage you to meet with a maternal mental health specialist, a therapist who is specifically trained in helping parents adjust to new parenthood and moms to motherhood so that you can explore whether there might be something else going on there. For those who are based in Canada, you can go to happyasamother.co slash book to book a free 15-minute consult with one of the mom therapists from our team. Or if you're international, I encourage you to go to Postpartum Support International's website, which is postpartum.net, and they have a directory there that can guide you in the right direction to getting the right support. I'll see you right back here next week where we are being joined by clinical psychologist and sleep specialist, Dr. Shelby Harris, to discuss all things insomnia and momsomnia. You do not want to miss this really important conversation. So come back and join me for our date together next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. 
If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.